0: Welcome to the Imaginal Inspirations podcast with me, David Lorimer, where I talk to my guests about experiences, people and books that have shaped their lives and work. Imaginal cells are responsible for the metamorphosis of the caterpillar into a butterfly, which is the Greek symbol for the soul. These cells are dormant in the caterpillar, but at a critical point of development, they create the new form and structure which becomes the butterfly. My guest today is Dr. Athena Potari, who is a fellow at the Center of Hellenic Studies at Harvard University this academic year. She received her PhD, or DPhil as they say in Oxford, in political philosophy, and also holds an MA in political theory from the London School of Economics and Political Science. In 2020, she was the youngest female scholar to receive the prestigious Academy of Athens Award in philosophy. She's previously taught at the universities Oxford, Patras, and the University of Toulouse, one capital, Athens branch. It saves you going to Toulouse. And in 2019, she founded Athenoia, a school of philosophy based in Greece devoted to the study of ancient Hellenic philosophy as an experiential path to the lived realization of non dual awareness, which is gnosis in Greek, and eudaimonia, which is flourishing combining rigorous textual study with meditation and other embodied practices inspired by the ancient scriptures. She's a member of the Galileo Commission Steering Group, and she's the author of A Call for a Renaissance of the Spirit in the Humanities, published by the Galileo Commission, and which we will talk about briefly later on. So, Athena, welcome to Imaginal Inspirations. And we're going to start with your telling our listeners about a shaping moment involving your choice of work.
1: Thank you very much, David, for your invitation. I'm very happy to be with you today. I guess an early shaping moment in in choosing to become an academic, really, was the moment when I was 14 years old and I came across a work of Plato during one of our classes at school and i felt so enthusiastic so excited like a fire ignited me and i ran to my teacher at the time i think it was a class on ancient greek language or or literature and and i asked what is this i want to know more about this and he gave me a book on the notion of platonic ideas and a dialogue called euthyphro it's not one of the most common or, or well-known ones but it was definitely one that shaped my life and i remember reading those texts and Having my first, how can I say it, it's not really metaphysical, but let's say spiritual experience at that age, at the age of 14, uh, while reading Plato and uh, the idea of the world of ideas and feeling myself going into this timeless experience and feeling this light and and hope at the time. And since that moment, I I said to myself, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is why I'm here. This one I'm going to be devoting the rest of my life to.
0: So there was a sense of recognition there, that something in you recognized that um, this was your calling, if I can put it that way.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, that's very much in line with Plato's very own ideas, that knowledge is remembrance. So in that moment, yes, it felt to me that I remembered something that was already inside of me and I was here to do. My yes, I
0: can very much resonate with that, um, and, and as you say, it's re- knowledge is recollection. And then, did you have a, an influential mentor or teacher, you know, it, who helped you in in your development?
1: Absolutely, I have to say that I had the privilege of having quite a few. I uh, really wouldn't know where to begin. Definitely, some teachers at school that, in their way, prompted me to the side of philosophy at a time where in my generation, focusing on anything that doesn't appear to have an immediate financial (laughs) gain or a career that can be uh, super prestigious in a materialistic sense was uh, very much discouraged. So to be encouraged to follow my passion instead of something that in my society, in in my social circles would be admitted as a more reasonable path to follow. Uh, was a contribution. And then I would have to mention my professor at the uh, University of uh, London School of Economics and Political Science, Janet Coleman, who was uh, my mentor and and my teacher there. She taught us Plato's Republic uh, while I was doing my MA in political theory. And I actually specialized in that text at that time. And I remember I was I felt completely in love with the text of course and whatever followed from my research on that but also with my professor because she was she was authentic passionate I would say raw in in her way mm-hmm. and that passion and that out of the box thinking really influenced me to focus even more on on platonic philosophy at the time so uh,
0: How interesting but- uh, because When I was at Cambridge doing the education course, I was taught by Sir Desmond Lee, who had been headmaster of Winchester College, where I later taught. And he's the editor of the Penguin edition of um, Plato's Republic. And we, we went through Plato's Republic in the context of a Cambridge postgraduate education course. So there's a nice kind of convergence there. I normally ask what kind of advice or guidance your mentor gave you, but I think you said a certain amount about that Um, very empowering influence, but is there anything more specific that you'd like to mention?
1: I think another advice I got from my mentors was to be authentic and to not be afraid to bring arguments that can seem out of the box, to, to, to basically be brave to be free. Absolutely. Sometimes be conservative to change as any world.
0: <laughs> yes, I know. I think that that comes at a certain personal cost sometimes. Um, being authentic to yourself, I remember uh, very much tuning into this with the courses that I did in existentialism um, at uh, St Andrews University in the seventies, uh, and of course through French literature as well. Now we now we move on to uh, books that have shaped your life. Um, and thinking obviously Plato's dialogues is one of those but maybe there are others that you'd like to mention
1: oh yes Plato's dialogues for sure Um, but I would have to mention Khalil Gibran's The Prophet was a book that I also read at a very early age around 13 years old and I found it deeply philosophical it explores ideas of truth of uh, non-duality of spirit. And I, I find poetry to be very complementary to philosophy, precisely because some ideas, as Plotinus would say, of course, the very, the very experience of the goal of philosophy, which is oneness and eudaimonia, wholeness, cannot be described. The uh, The Greeks call it ariton, like that, that which cannot be said. So poetry is the closest thing that comes to being able to talk about what is impossible to talk about and so Khalil Gibran was definitely a poet as well as Rumi that influenced me and 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 inspired me but also T.S. Eliot I have to say
0: I was wondering about that uh, that was a thought in my mind so Four Quartets or
1: Four Quartets really really helped me shape my path at an early age. I read that also quite early on. And uh, I, I remember the quote that is mentioned there. We shall not cease from exploration. And the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and get to know the place. Know
0: the place for the first time. Yes, no, I know those those lines very well. and And I've derived a lot of sustenance from... T. S. Eliot's Four Quartets, and indeed, we had a walking week about three years ago, where we used as our text, and, and so we would discuss it, and then, um, well, take we took it with us, and then we read, I'd read it out, and then we would discuss it. So um, very influential. And moving on now to um, a key moment of insight in your work in relation to the nature of consciousness, or even a key experience uh, in relation to the nature of consciousness, which changed your understanding.
1: So in a way, I carried a taste of non-duality, of oneness, since a child. But before I entered into a more devoted and rigorous exploration of myself, those moments were fleeting and not quite understood. Following up on the previous question, if I may, a book that really changed my life and entered me into what we nowadays would call spiritual practice, or we can call it meditation and contemplation, was the autobiography of a yogi, a book that a lot of, of people, it's quite a popular book. But I remember reading that just before I started my study at Oxford in 2008. I was about 23 years old at the time. And reading that book brought my life upside down and i read it and uh, i felt that this this is the way just academic reading and writing and and analytical contemplation will not do it i have to enter into meditation and, and spiritual practice i had some contact with the healing arts before that like reiki was something that i found along the way in england and it really helped me so i was into that but after reading that book uh, and while I actually went to Oxford, I decided to start meditation practice and uh, yoga and anything I could explore to understand who I am, the nature of my energy, the nature of my mind, the nature of myself. And I then started what we have discussed every before, a, a divided life, a double life. It was mm. my life at the university and the scholarly way of living. And then I would finish with school, I would go back home and I would meditate for at least seven hours and plus three hours in the morning. So my, my life was involved little sleep and it was divided into scholarly work and meditation work. That for me came hand in hand. And And during those times, I got to experience tremendously transformational experiences. I also visited India the next summer. I actually went alone for a month. And that definitely, definitely opened me up to a new reality. In India, I experienced my heart opening, bursting open, and a new way of feeling the world and perceiving the world arose. A few years later, that culminated into what I would say a most profound experience from all those multiple, and, and, and in a way additive experience i had to that moment every every experience added up adds up i would say to form a new way of seeing and experiencing the world in ourselves and 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 that moment was a moment where it's it's not describable but if we've tried to describe it in a in a recent article but i would say it's the experience of of oneness and an experience of, of, of perceiving that really there is no such thing as separate people, separate individuals, separate objects or minds. And we're all one ocean of of divine being, of, of consciousness that perceives itself and and goodness. We, we call that in Greek F, the divine pure nature, just pure goodness, pure consciousness that plays all the roles through each and every one of us yet it remains in itself unitary and, and, and bright and, and divine and unchanging. That Indeed, moment-
0: I mean, this is, this is Gnosis, isn't it, in the Greek um, tradition. And I'm interested that you should have mentioned the autobiography of a yogi because my wife, Marianne, is reading that at the moment. And when I went to Fife in March, I recovered my copy, which um, I had in my library. And it reminded me that I also saw a copy of that book in an Oxford bookshop, but I didn't buy it because I had it already, belonging to Arnold Toynbee, um, which is very interesting, the historian Arnold Toynbee. Um, but I did buy a small book of his in French um, by Teilhard de Chardin with his signature in the front. Anyway, that's all slightly by the way. So you know, this, these sorts of experience. Uh, are I think what the Greeks were getting at when they said, know thyself. Maybe you'd like to connect the ancient with the with the more contemporary uh, in that respect.
1: I definitely think and, and experience that uh, the very essence of Hellenism and Hellenic philosophy consists exactly in, in the essence of a spiritual exploration of all major philosophical Um, uh, paths or spiritual paths such as Advaita, non-duality, I would say even Buddhism, even Hinduism. And the essence of Hellenic philosophy, which I think is the essence of contemporary paths of self-exploration and and non-dual awareness and understanding can be summarized in the precept know thyself, which uh, is one of the 140 seven approximately Delphic, Pithy Delphic resets, and it's written on the entrance of uh, Apollo's temple in Delphi. Uh, and, and many people uh, at first, I guess even myself at first, when I uh, approached that quote, I thought that Apollo was directing us to know ourselves as the separate characters, body minds, In time, working with this precept, actually, I'm I'm writing on it at at that moment. uh, I realized that it has so many different meanings and, and possible interpretations. One of them would be that to know ourselves is to feel ourselves as that very knowing that is the essence of being, consciousness. Apollo doesn't call us to know our separate characters, body minds, but to turn the eye of consciousness onto itself, to understand and experience the nature of consciousness as pure knowing and as the one self that exists in the universe. It's so interesting that the Greeks didn't write, know yourselves, (laughs) but they they said, know thyself. And actually the precept is written in such a way it has an apostrophe so that we're not quite sure if it refers to know thyself or know it. It. Afton can either yeah. mean or it. So get know that, which is that, the only thing that exists, which is you, which is the one self, which is pure consciousness. The
0: well, name. you know, it's, it's significant in that respect that the word consciousness literally means etymologically to know with. So so I mean that states its exact nature and function in terms of being, as you as you say. And then how does this understanding influence the way you live your life? I'm sure it does.
1: Yeah, I I have to say, to be honest, that my life has been completely transformed. First of all, I feel happy and content <laughs> in my everyday life without any apparent um without apparent reasons. Like in the past, I remember how. My life was very much conditioned upon circumstances. So if things would go well, I would feel well. If things were not going particularly well, I would feel bad. Or if if negative things happened or difficult situations arose in life, that would devastate me. And right now, I just experience um, calmness and uh, steadiness that no matter what happens, whether it's difficult, and I've been through very difficult situations in, in the past years, to be sure, and also family members of mine. And I've also been through very happy and and auspicious situations, but in a way there is an evenness that whatever happens, be it very good or difficult, cannot really waver you out of of that wholeness that you feel inside of you because it does not depend, that happiness does not depend on anything apparently external. It stems from being in contact with just who you are. And so... Wonderfully
0: put. I I love that. This... Evenness um, and equanimity is another word that we would uh, use in English, I think. So there's a there's a deep peace um, which underlies um, that sense of moving through life.
1: Yes, absolutely. Mm. It's not an apathetic state. It comes along with a lot of love, mm. of care and compassion for everything, for every. Form of life, and sometimes, as we've had we discussed before, that can come off very weird to an environment that has taught us that we should only be open and and, and emotionally available to some people and not to others. Uh, to feel that you're connected with everyone and everything, and therefore you can care about everyone and everything the same way. I think that has had profound ethical implications that I'm still integrating in my life. That even as also means being equal in your love for everything and everyone and trying to live a life that the well-being of others is as equally important as your well-being because you're not two separate beings. We're one being
0: it's very much the the sense that you get in the Tao as well. The sage is one who has it says neutral, but I think it's it's get it's getting at this universality of relating to people as as the one Uh, i'd like now athena just to come on um to the call for a renaissance of the spirit in the humanities which we've been working with together and just tell our listeners a little bit about what this call is and why it's important
1: we would have to introduce this call um by first uh, making uh, a reference to the Galileo report that was published was it three years ago now, David? A bit, three or four bit more.
0: Yeah, it's 2017. So it's okay. nearly five years ago.
1: I would say that for me, at least in my understanding, that is the, 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 the starting point of, of this endeavor because the Galileo report was really a revolutionary uh, text that uh, explored the way science and, 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 and medical practice works at the moment and positive sciences work uh, function on an academic and research level is founded on a materialist worldview that has been disproved by science itself or that it remains to a large extent unproved in itself so dogmatic in its foundation and the the Gallier report you're Way more able to describe what I, the, the Galileo report. I think you should you should describe that better than me.
0: I'll just give one particular point, um, which reinforces what you said, and that's that it questions the report. Questions the presupposition, which is a presupposition that it, the brain produces consciousness, and therefore the primacy of matter of the material. So it questions that and tries to arrive at a wider view. And I think what we've been doing uh, and what you've been specifically doing with the Renaissance call is applying that same approach to the humanities because the humanities are also pervaded by this sense that materialism is the correct scientific view.
1: Exactly. At the center of, of the humanities, there is also a set of metaphysical and ontological axioms or presuppositions, as you very rightly said, which concern, first of all, the nature of the human around which the very humanities as a a set of different um, subjects of knowledge uh, revolves. Who is the human who's at the center? And of course, that that definition of what it is to be human uh, cannot come without uh, an accompanying definition or or perception or view of what's the nature of the world in which the human being appears, what's the nature of time, space, matter, consciousness. So there are all those presuppositions or axioms at the center of the humanities and very often they remain, as it happens in the positive sciences, um, unaccounted for or unexplored and yet those presuppositions affect the way we, we conduct our research and our teaching and our entire academic activity. And I think that through this call, what we're trying to do is to shed light on how a great part of that core of presumptions at the very center of the humanities and the definition of what it is to be hum- human has been influenced by the materialistic worldview that prevailed, especially in the West, in the past centuries. And if those axioms are, are, are challenged and, and questioned, again, through research and rigorous and and logical exploration, what would happen to the orbit, (laughs) the orbit of activity um, of the humanities around that core? What are the implications of accepting what, for example, the Galileo report suggests, accepting that consciousness is not secondary, but it's primary and consciousness is is unitary so consciousness is one and it's prior to matter what would that imply for our humanity and what would that imply for the humanities as an area of of study and and exploration there will be uh, obviously there are uh, extremely important repercussions and um, those do not just have to do with an epistemological level it's not just Repercussions for the way we approach the humanities, but because the humanities concerns itself with important areas such as relationships, psychology, ethics, and politics. Exploring an alternative worldview that places consciousness first and realises its unity can have a profound consequences for the way we conduct our lives as ethical and political beings.
0: Indeed, I think that's very well put. So, so the point is, this call, has revolutionary implications in the same way that the Galileo Commission does. And I think we both agree that a shift towards a more integral view, worldview with consciousness at the center and, and this sense of interconnected interdependence is really vital for human survival.
1: Absolutely. And I think the state of the environment at that present moment reflects precisely the the effects of a materialist and and worldview of separation between mind and matter or human beings and their environment. Uh, I think that the very material state right now of our planet witnesses that there's something wrong with our perceptions and and worldviews. And uh, I believe that a, a great part of an important consequence of really integrating into our lives into our understanding into our everyday activities this now scientifically suggested finding that our consciousness is interconnected and it's one can change the way we approach first of all each other and then the environment
0: absolutely and and so so i i think this is quite essential and anyway, we're, we're coming to the end of the interview. So I just wanted to ask whether you had a particular proverb you lived by or a favorite quote.
1: I have a few, but one that I particularly inspired to mention right now is one of uh, Plato, of course, <laughs> who states that all science, and he means research and knowledge, all science, all knowledge separated from justice and the other virtues is cunning and not true wisdom.
0: Love it. I love it. We really need to take that to heart. Um, And then finally, uh, Athena, is there any advice that you you give your younger self from where you've got to now in your life?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's such a good question. I would tell my younger self, keep on going. Don't stop you're going to find the way out of
0: this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, indeed you have. And thank you so much for coming on to uh, Imaginal Inspirations. And we'll look forward to future collaboration.
1: Thank you very much for this beautiful interview and for the wonderful questions. It's the wonderful questions that can bring forth good answers. (laughs) It's all about the questions.
0: Thank you so much.